Thank you. Please be seated. Please open your Bibles with me to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Page 201 if you're using the Pew Bible. Folks, when we read through the Old Testament, oftentimes we see, of course, the Israelites failing God. They're kind of on a yo-yo, up and down. They're, they're with Him, they're with Him, they're with Him, and then they're losing Him and going downhill. And you see that over and over throughout the Old Testament. And we have to be very careful that we don't just get down on the Israelites or on Israel because we have to realize, we have to look at our own selves and we do the very exact same thing every day. So be careful about uh, blaming the Israelites when, you know, this is written so obviously we can learn from the Israelites, but also we need to apply it and learn how in the world we do that every day and what we can do about that. Judges chapter 2, hear now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. When the Lord dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies." Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who served them out of the hand of those who plundered them. 
Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had, come, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, as he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Let's now go before the Lord God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for your word for this is actual history. This happened. This is not some fable passed down. This is actual history that we're reading about. And we thank you so much for it. And we pray. We know that you're here through your Holy Spirit. We pray for you to please have us listen intently and intentionally to your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you do these things for our good and for your glory and honor and praise. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A loving wife suspects her husband is being unfaithful. With a broken heart, she confronts him, and he begins his confession. Yes, even though you've been faithful to me and have loved me unconditionally all these years, I am being unfaithful to you. Tell me, the wife asked, do you love her? Yes, I do love her. What about all our years together through the joys and the sorrows? I guess I just can't help myself is she pretty yes in fact she's a model is she younger than me well she was a teenager in 1959 when she was conceived why do you love her does she love you what's her name What's so special about her? Wait a minute. One question at a time. I admit the attraction was only physical at first. Her name is Barbie and she's gorgeous. She has an astonishing figure and she makes no demands on me. In fact, she doesn't care whatever I do. I can do whatever is right in my own mind.
There are only two problems with her. She's only 10 inches tall and she has much too large of a wardrobe. The wife looks at him and asks, Have you lost your mind? Are you insane? That's the exact same insanity or lack of perspective on reality that Israel had as they chose to pursue the gods of the Canaanites that we just read about. Of course, they were all idols. In fact, idolatry is placing anything before God as having ultimate value, whether it's money, possessions, cars, sports, a person, it doesn't matter, anything. Remember, God hates idolatry. And you may think, ooh, ooh, that sounds a little rough. Now, by hating idolatry, He is protecting His holiness. Let's see how this works out in today's text. In today's text, we're going to see three points. Confrontation, slugged by an angel, commemoration, heritage of a hero, and calamity, diagram of a decline. First point we can see is confrontation, slugged by an angel in verses 1 through 5. Now at special times of crisis, God sent an angel of the Lord to convey His message to the people. Now while it's possible that the angel was simply a a messenger from God who spoke the words in first person, it's also possible that this angel or the angel was the pre-incarnate Christ. His point of origin was Gilgal, which may have served really as a message within a message. Gilgal is mentioned 38 times in the Old Testament and had greater significance theologically than geographically. It was the memorial site after the Israelites crossed over into the Jordan, uh, across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land, where they set up camp, erected the memorial. Remember the twelve stones. Uh, they circumcised all the men of the second generation, and they celebrated the Passover there. More significantly, it was at Gilgal that the battle plan was revealed to Joshua by the commander of the Lord's army, which of course was angelic forces. God's challenge was clear to them. When when you obeyed my word at Jericho, you were victorious. Obey me now. You made commitments of faithfulness at Gilgal. Keep them now. Two pegs of God's faithfulness were mentioned, big ones. The exodus and the conquest of the promised land. These examples of God's faithfulness were followed by the promise, I will never break my covenant with you. God gave two mandates to His people, both of which they disobeyed. He told them not to make a covenant with the people of this land, 
However, not only did they make covenants with God's enemies, but they also failed to break down their altars. Notice sins of commission and sins of omission. And again, folks, we do the same thing. Just be careful not to get down too much on them. God asked rhetorically, why have you done this? Obviously, he knew why. He's sovereign. God's point highlighted the fact that sin is never a logical choice. God is a jealous God who is slow to anger, but when his wrath is kindled, he acts. Or in this case, he withdraws his active protection. The cause of God's action was Israel's faithlessness in spite of God's faithfulness. There were two effects. First, God withdrew His protection and presence from the nation of Israel. Not only did He not drive, out, drive the Canaanites out, but the Canaanites would oppress the Israelites like thorns in their sides, as verse 3 says. That's exactly what God told them He would do. Disobedience to God's commandments doesn't result in freedom like we think too much. It results in bondage. The second result was a threefold response from the Israelites. First, they wept out loud. Second, they commemorated their gushing emotional eruption by naming the place Weeping. And third, they offered sacrifices to the Lord. But it was too little, too late. Remember what Samuel said in 1 Samuel 15, 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. Second point we can see is commemoration, heritage of a hero in verses 6 through 10. Now we're reminded that the root cause of Israel's apostasy had nothing to do with geography, politics, or economics. In a nutshell, it was that they forgot God. And notice that it only took three generations for this to happen. The answer to the question God asked in verse 2 reaches back into history. And the text now provides us with a flashback. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, he died at the age of 110 and was buried in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Herez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. And we're reminded that he was a, the servant of the Lord. Now that's a term explicitly used of only three people in the entire Old Testament. Moses, David, and Joshua. After Joshua, none of the leaders among the judges seemed to be able to lead the, the, the nation really in a collective obedience And until the end of Joshua's lifetime, that generation followed him and served the Lord. 
Now think back a minute. As children, they had seen firsthand the Egyptian plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the giving of the law, and the preservation in the wilderness. They lived through all that. They saw that. As adults, they had taken part in the stunning victory at Jericho and the conquest of the Promised Land. Amazing stuff. They had experienced the direct guidance of God on numerous occasions. They knew knew God and they saw His work in their lives. They had seen God's grace, and they had seen God's judgment. The next generation knew God and knew the stories about what God had done, but they hadn't experienced these things personally, not themselves. And as verse 10 says, the third generation knew neither the Lord nor what He had done for Israel. There's your three generations. At some point there, there was a breakdown in the process of transferring God's truth down to the next generation. The priests failed because they were supposed to teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord gave them through Moses, as Leviticus 10, 11 says. The fathers failed since according to Deuteronomy 6 verses 1 through 9, they were to teach God's truth both formally and informally using the world really as a classroom and life as a laboratory to teach them God's truth. The result was that before long God's people developed a spiritual amnesia. Within a span of just a few words in the text, a generation came and went until the reader now faces an Israel that looks no different from the Canaanites among whom they chose to live. The third point we can see is calamity, diagram of a decline. This entire section could easily be titled from this introductory words. You can look at it there with me. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Folks, that's the condensed version of the rest of the chapter. This statement introduces the judgeships of Othniel, Ehud, Deborah slash Barak, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. Now this phrase is particularly interesting as it is twisted in Malachi 2, verse 17, where Malachi indicts a group of second-generation so-called believers with these words. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied Him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. Now the term evil here refers to intentional violation of God's revealed command in a covenant context. This is the deliberate violation of a law that one has specifically promised not to violate. 
And again, folks, don't, don't focus all your attention on the Israelites because we do the exact same thing. Their evil was twofold. First, they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, abandoning whatever teaching they had received. They had been taught about what God had done for them. They knew these things personally. But they had no first-hand experience of a relationship with the Lord themselves. Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord? In other words, have you put your personally, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior? That's the only way we can have a personal relationship with the Lord. And when we do that, thank God He changes our life. And that's the next question. Have you made him the Lord of your life? And that's not a multiple choice question. That's really one and the same. Because when he works salvation in us, he changes what we desire. He changes our wants. And he changes us. And we seek to please him. And that's exactly what we're talking about in this text, what Judges 2 points out. They were not pleasing God. And that's our number one desire when we have got Jesus Christ as our Savior and the Lord of our life. Second, by contrast, they could visually see the local Canaanite idols. Of course, they're walking by sight, not by faith. And they followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them, as verse as the text says, they worship the creation instead of the creator. That's a completely different thing. And this provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him, as verse 13 says. The objects of their religious affections were Baal and the Ashtoreths. Now the term Baal, Baal most often identified with the god of weather. Of course, an idol. Now, the female companion of Baal was the Atarte, whose plural form is Ashtoreths, again, idols. Now, this term represented many localized forms of the goddess, and, and really, she was most often identified uh, with fertility. The worship of the Canaanites was the, the very essence of man-made religion and spiritual adultery. Canaanite worship was the exact opposite of the true worship of God. Let me tell you why. God's people are to think God's thoughts and to walk in God's ways. The focus is to be the glory of our Creator, not the glory of the creature. A huge difference. In Canaanite worship, the object was to beg the gods to do in heaven what was being done on earth. Think about that. God entreats us in the New Testament to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
The Canaanites' view of God was wrong. Simply put, they violated the covenant, as verse 20 says. After all the details of the text, the point is very clear. There was little difference between the behavior of the Israelites and that of the Canaanites. The effect was that God would no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left. The epilogue of this chapter is the very last verse, and you can look at it there with me. God allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out, which he had been doing. Why did God continue to love his people? The same reason he continues to love you and me after we sin. His grace. It's amazing grace. God's faithfulness, you see, is anchored in His character, not in our character. He is the loving Father that waits for the return of this prodigal nation and of prodigal people like you and me. So how can we apply these scriptures in our daily lives personally? Sin is not rational. It's utterly irrational. It's like falling in love with a Barbie doll. Makes no sense. Every time we sin, we suppress our logical abilities and say something like, God, I know better than you know. And I don't believe that this is bad for me, even in the short term or in the long term. Even though you created and made me and gave me the instruction manual for my life in the Bible, I think I know better and I want to do what I want to do. So we suppress God's guidance. We suppress our awareness of God and we choose what can only be described as spiritual insanity. How about us personally? How does God want to grow you and me in light of Judges chapter 2? Have you lost your dependency on God by declaring your independency? You know, sin has a way of desensitizing us, and we repeat sins, and as we do, we don't seem, they don't seem quite as bad as they did. Maybe not quite as sinful as they once were. To what sins have you hardened your heart? That's what we do when we keep repeating them. Are you confessing your sins? And repenting of them. Repenting of our sins means that we work hard at not repeating them over and over. Or are you ignoring this spiritual discipline and allowing your sins to accumulate and harden your heart? Verse 
enjoy God's blessings by living according to His Word right there in front of you in the Bible. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you and we love you and we thank you so much for your word. Lord God, we pray for you to work in us through your Holy Spirit to sin less and to stop repeating our sins. We can clearly see that sin is insanity. Lord God, work in us to truly repent of our sins, which means we turn away from them and follow you and your precepts, your teachings. We know that's the way that's best for us. That's the way that glorifies you the most. That's the way that you bless In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All who will please stand for the benediction. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now sing the doxology. Thank you for listening. For the sermon archive, go to wpcjc.org forward slash resources forward slash sermon hyphen archive. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible, English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of Good News Publishers, used by permission, all rights reserved. ESV texts may not be quoted in any publication made available to the public by a Creative Commons license. ESV may not be translated in whole or in part into any other language. Verbal credit must also be given to the ESV.